So um, I just wanted to share this, this morning from uh, the book of Joshua. I've been personally um, in the book of Joshua quite a bit recently. And when I was in Moldova, so on, uh, I think it was Wednesday night, they asked me to, to share at the prayer meeting impromptu the, the kind of day before. Um, and I didn't have anything prepared, so I just kind of asked the Lord to show me what he would show me. And he took me to Joshua, Joshua chapter number three, primarily. And um, I was able to share some thoughts, and I, and I thought I would share them this morning because they're very practical thoughts, uh, hopefully helpful thoughts for us uh, this morning. Um, if there's a title for the message, the message is entitled Practicing Personal Holiness. Um, so, Joshua chapter 3, if you find your way to Joshua chapter number 3, and um, we're going to read from verse number 1 to verse number 5, but before we do, a little bit of context, I'm sure you know the story, but if you don't, God's people have been brought out of Egypt by Moses, they've been delivered God has sent a deliverer because he's a gracious God. He hears the cries of the people. Moses comes in the power and the strength of God. The people are delivered. You have the uh, Passover there. You know, the blood's put over the lintels. The children are spared. And that's the kind of the, the, the last of those uh, judgments against Egypt. The people come out of Egypt. They, they cross uh, across the Red Sea there. God does a great miracle. And then there to go on in their journey and enter into the promised land. We call it the promised land because it's the land that God had promised as part of the land covenant that comes from the Abrahamic covenant you find in Genesis 12 and on. So they're meant to go into the land. They're meant to take what God has already uh, secured for them because he's God, he's sovereign, he's determined that the land's theirs and he would go before them. Of course, they don't go in, they send spies into the land and they're afraid and the doubt creeps into the camp and because of the doubt, they don't go forward in God's plans and God's purposes. And they have to wander in the wilderness. Forty years until the generation has passed away. Uh, Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land. He's been judged for his own actions. And Joshua is the new leader that uh, God has risen up to lead the people into the promised land. Chapter number one, Joshua is there. You know, he's making this great speech that God is with us. You know, we're going to serve God. Who can be against us? Uh, chapter number two, we go back to where they were when they came out of Egypt. They seen spies into the land. And this time, they're ready to go. So you get to uh, Joshua chapter number uh, three. And this is where we are in this story now. The spies have returned. You know, we have the, the, the ready to go into the land. Verse 24 of chapter number 2, actually, I'll start us. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of this. So they're ready to go into the land. That's the point. So the point I'm making this morning is that you have God's people. They've been delivered out of the world, out of Egypt. They've wandered in the wilderness, and now they're ready to go into the promised land. And in verse number one of chapter number three, it says, Joshua rose early in the morning and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the hosts and they commanded the people saying, 
when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. <clears throat> Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way here unto four or before. So before they are to go into the land, they're gathered at the Jordan River, and Joshua's rose up early in the morning, and he's encouraged the people, he's got the officers of the people to go through and tell everybody, these are the instructions. The instructions are this, that you are not to move into those promises of God, into the promised land, until you see the Ark of the Covenant move. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, what was it? It was a place where God's presence resided, but it was also a witness and a testimony to the presence of God. It was important to the people that the Ark was present because that meant God was present to them. And Joshua says to them that you're not to move until you see the Ark move. Application. We're not to move until we see God move. That's important, so important in the Christian life. And I think we miss that. We miss it because oftentimes we want to get ahead of God or probably more the case, we're way behind where God wants us to be. And in the Christian life, that's a discernment that we have to make. We have to be in a right relationship with God, first of all, to even see him. But then we have to discern what is God doing and when is he doing it? Because our time usually isn't God's time. As a pastor, you know, you can start ministries, you can do things and you want instant success all the time. You're like, why is this not catching on? Why is this not happening? <clears throat> Maybe it's not God's timing. Maybe that's just my timing. And a lot of time it's, it is like that. So the people were told, they're instructed that you're, you're to move when God moves. So the question is, are we ready to move when God moves? The sub-question of that is, would we even know when God's moving? Like, do we even see it? Are we looking for it? Are we caught up on our own things, our own plans, our own purposes? So there's, there's very clear instruction there. So the instruction is that, you know, you, they're not to move until God moves. And then, you know, it says in verse 4, there's a space between you and it. So the movement is, is started by looking for God. And then the pace of the movement is determined by the movement of the Ark of the Covenant, representatives, or representing the presence of God, so that they are to stand at the right distance. So for me, that application is this, that yes, we want to look, be looking for God to move, but when God moves, we do it at his pace. And sometimes that's slow and steady. Sometimes that's full on. But God sets the pace. I think as human beings, we just live in a world where we want to set, set our own pace all the time. Set our own pace. But we have to be looking for what God's doing. And, and the key to this comes in verse number five. The key to seeing God, number one, and the key to seeing what God is doing comes in verse number five, which says, And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I love this verse. Because here we get personal responsibility. I believe God's sovereign, absolutely. But I don't believe that removes our responsibility. If uh, you've been around me enough, I'll have told you, I hate the 
phrase, let go and let God. I hate it. Because it, I understand what people are, the truth of that means, but what people take that to mean is, well, we'll just leave it to God. And that's not how God works. See, God doesn't need us. He does not need us. But he wants to work in and through us. Not so that he benefits, because God doesn't need anything. So that we benefit. So this whole concept of letting go and letting God might mean well, but actually in the Christian life, it's, it's, it's so much more about that than that. Paul talks about striving according to God's power. It's this, 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 this walking according to what God has for us. It's the exercising of our will. And that's important. Because you have to exercise your will. You can't give it away. I do this illustration all the time. So it's not going to work online, but I do have some people here. So I'll ask them to put their right hand up. You may have heard me do this before. Put your right hand up. Now, was that my will or your will? Oh, yours? Mine? Mine? Definitely mine, not yours? Oh, you still chose to do it, right, right, right. So what is it? It's both. That's the Christian life. Is that, I'm, I'm not God, obviously, just, just to clarify. But that was my will for you. But I can't force you to do that. You have to exercise your will. And you did, because you're good parishioners. And you, you, you did, did that, put your hand up. And if you're at home, same thing. But it's, that's you exercising your will. And that's the way God works. He wants us to walk in him. And Joshua here, before the people get ready to enter into one of their biggest events, they're going into the promised land to enter into all the things of God, Joshua says to them, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow God will do wonders among you. And, and, the, and the picture here is, and this is, we're going to have a look at uh, chapter 3, 4, 5, and, and 6, and 7 of, of Joshua and see that this is the important thing in the book of Joshua. Jericho is going to come next. We're going to have a look at that. And that's a massive thing, but that's not the, the most important thing in here. The most important thing in the book of Joshua is that the people understand that their walk with God brings personal responsibility and accountability for their holiness. Now, this is not works-based salvation. This is simply walking in God. And, and Joshua says to the people, sanctify yourselves, separate yourselves. You know, this concept of holiness. If there's something not right, let me take application. Then sort it out. Because yes, you have to be ready for God to move. You have to be looking but also your life has to be right for God to move. So that question, are we ready for God to move, is double-barreled. You know, as a church, are we ready for God to move? I hope that we are. But then when we get to heart level, are we truly ready for God to move? Because God wants to work with people that love him and are committed to him and desire to be with him and desire this personal relationship which is all part of sanctification. In fact, the greatest way to sanctify yourself, separate yourself, the, the foundational, the starting way, is in your relationship with Christ and your closeness to him. Joshua says to the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. God's going to do what God's going to do. But we have to be ready when God starts to move. 
So the commandment's given. The instruction's given. That God's going to move. The Ark of the Covenant's going to go at a certain pace. The people have to follow at the correct pace and let God lead, but follow correctly. Walk with him. And what happens is that they do this. They go into the Jordan River and the ark goes in. The feet of the priests touch the waters and there's another miracle that takes place. It takes place at flood time. The Bible's very specific and tells us that, which means that the Jordan River is approximately about a mile long. I've been to Israel a couple of times. One of the times, where, where first time actually, where I kind of didn't know my bearings and we were going across some area and I knew the Jordan was about. And I'm like, where's the Jordan River here? expecting to see some big massive thing and the guide said you stepped over it about five minutes ago because it's dry season there's hardly anything at that that particular point but the bible says this is flood season my long and they walk into it and god does another miracle it's not some as people trying to explain it away that the winds blew at a certain direction all these kind of humanistic theories to explain the supernatural no god stopped the river And they walk across it. You get into chapter number four. And these 12 stones of memorial are laid down. 12 stones in the river. 12 stones on the shore as they go across. And they pass over. And the 12 stones are laid down as a memorial. So that the people would teach their children. They would be reminded of the greatness and the goodness of God. As he delivers them out of Egypt. Out of the world. And into uh, the promises of God. So they cross over, they cross over the Jordan, they, they, um, this whole process begins in the 10th of Nisan, that's important because it ties in with the triumphal entry, they cross the Jordan in the 10th of Nisan, because this is all pictorial of Christ and his work, it's, it's, it's beautiful, this Old Testament is, is full of the cross, it's beautiful. So 10th of Nisan, this 10th of Nisan is the triumphal entry, 10th of Nisan is when the Passover lamb is selected in Judaism. So 10th of Nisan, they cross over. They get to the other side and it tells us that on the 14th of Nisan, they um, celebrate the Passover, first Passover after coming out of Egypt. Again, what's that pictorial of? Pictorial of Christ and, and the cross. So it's beautiful, beautiful pictures. Anyway, you get to chapter number five and then you know they're dedicated to God. Uh, the circumcision takes place. So they're getting into this right relationship, their covenant, special relationship with God. And they're getting ready to go. Uh, you get to chapter number six in there. And now we're dealing with Jericho. Jericho, again, this big picture of the, the, the battle that faces the believer. As they come out of this walk of salvation, you know, they're, they're saved by Christ. They walk the waters of, of baptism, as it were, the waters of deliverance. They come to the, enter into these promises of God and straight away they face battles. That's the Christian life. And Jericho, for the people, was a big battle. Jericho was a, a monstrous city. It was a powerhouse of the day. And it had these, uh, you know, these fortified walls. And I'm sure you know the story of Jericho. And then Joshua chapter number 6 Joshua gives all the instructions, what they're to do, the three sevens that appear there, you know, the seven uh, horns, the seven trumpets, um, seven priests, seven times, etc., etc. So the instructions are given out by Joshua. But there, as the instructions are given, there's some warnings also that are given by Joshua to the people. And the warnings are that simply... 
Uh, if you look at verse number 26 of Joshua 6, so God's done this mighty miracle. The walls of Jericho have fallen. This is God. It's clearly God. The people have sanctified themselves for tomorrow God will do wonders. This is the wonders that God is doing. Jericho has fallen. The walls have fallen. Instructions have been given. The instructions have been followed. And then there's a warning, verse 26. And Joshua adjured them, literally implored them by the law, at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that rises up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the first foundations of uh, his firstborn, and the youngest son shall he set the gates on it. So there's a warning there to um, uh, Jericho that, that we built again. Um, earlier on in, in chapter number uh, 6 there, there's a warning that the people aren't to touch any of the accursed things. Those things that are set for destruction. The things that are set for destruction are the things uh, in Jericho. And they're not to uh, touch them. Verse 18, And ye in any wise keep yourselves, this is chapter 6, verse 18, from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed, literally appointed for destruction, when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. So there's all these warnings Warnings for Jericho and the rebuilding of it. Warnings for the people that have gone in and, and they've had victory there, that they're not to, to, to defile themselves with these accursed things. Get into chapter number 7 and verse number 1. What do we find? But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. So there's been a breach. There's been a failure. There's been a trespass, if you like, where Achan has took of the accursed things and he's brought it into the camp. Verse number two, chapter seven. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor there, for they are but a few. So here we have the very next direct battle after Jericho. Jericho is a, a mighty victory that the Lord has wrought. And God has done this because the people have sanctified themselves. Remember, they've wandered in the wilderness because the people weren't separated for God. To be truly separated for God brings trust and obedience. That's what Joshua chapter number one is all about. So they're ready and they've gone and God has done this mighty victory. Like Jericho has fallen and the way the walls fail, it's God. Same with Goliath, it's God, it's God, it's God. God has done this. Now they enter into the very next battle. The very next battle is against Ai. Ai is a little village, it's nothing. And the people go out and they come back and the report is, like, we don't need to send many men because there's not many there. We've got this. Verse 4. So they went up thither, the men, about 3,000, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote them, about 30 and 6 men, for they chased them before the gate, even unto Shebaram, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. 36 men. 
have absolutely whipped the children of Israel. Because even though they sent a few thousand men, it was still odds against Ai. But literally, it tells us that the people fled because their hearts melted, became as water. What is going on here? Jericho is a mighty city with a heavy population, with a historic uh, tendency for violence, walls that are impenetrable. God does a mighty work. The very next battle is against a little old village with 36 fighters. You add a bit of sanctified imagination in here, as I like to do. If you're a little tiny village and you're being attacked, 36 men go out, I'm pretty sure that's every man they could find. This is, some of this would be dad's army. I think there's grandas out here. There's anybody that can fight is going out. Because this, you know, there's only a little tiny enclave. But Israel's hearts melted, became as water. What's going on? And this is what Joshua says in verse 7. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Now listen to these words from Joshua. This fearless leader of Joshua 1. He said, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. Who's going to, you know, who's going to stop us? God is with us. Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. I mean, listen to those words. Where does this take us back to? It takes us back to uh, the people when they came out of Egypt. You know, just leave us there, Moses. It was nicer there. There was more food there. It was better. What's going on with these people? What's going on with the God that has promised to do wonders amongst them tomorrow, which he did at Jericho? So Joshua is, is, is working this out. And to be honest, I love this because it shows us the frailty of the human frame. That at times we can't work out what God's doing and at times in our sin nature we'll complain to God and we'll feel sorry for ourselves and we'll say that it was better off where I was than where you have me, God. Verse 8, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall envirant us around and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do unto thy great name? Notice what Joshua does there. Tries to put this on God. He says, this is your name, God. What are you going to do about it? Verse 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel has sinned, and they have transgressed my covenant, which I have commanded them. For they have taken of the accursed thing, they have also stolen and, and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore, except you destroy the accursed thing from among you. Now verse 13 is the key. Up, sanctify the people and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, for thus saith the Lord God of 
Israel. There's an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. They cannot stand before thy enemies until you take away the accursed thing from which is among you. So what I want to show you here, and I want you to see, is these are the bookends of this story. And the most important thing in this story of that point where they cross the Jordan and then they defeat uh, Jericho and then they get defeated by Ai and they get right back to where they were. The important thing is that God will do whatever he pleases. That God is the one that secures the victory. It's God that goes before us. But that does not remove our personal responsibility. And Joshua tries to put the blame on God. And he says, this is your name. What are you doing? Why have you brought us here? Why have you took us out of this land? And God says, it's not me, it's you. Sanctify yourself against tomorrow. Why were they defeated in Ai? Because they defiled themselves. Achan, just representative of the sin nature that will follow these things that defile us, that keep us from our personal walk with the Lord as being separated for his work. This is personal holiness. And the message is not the fall of Jericho. That's not the big thing. God saved sinners from their sin. The greatest miracle ever. To, to, to topple a wall is nothing for the one that spoke everything into existence. But this God, our God, the one that does these wonders, wants us to walk in a right relationship with him so he can work in and through us. That's the message in the book of Joshua. It's not about Jericho. But God's people and their hearts before him. When the people were right before God, God did wonders amongst them. He prospered them because they had promises that were earthly. He protected them. Now we fast forward to the church. We're the church today. We live in what we call a, a different time period, a different dispensation. We're not under uh, these prosperity promises and land that Israel was, but we have our own promises. But the, 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 the concept of sanctifying ourselves is still relevant today. In fact, it is the most important thing in the Christian life. We've been studying Peter on Wednesday nights, and in 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse 15, Peter gives a reminder, drawn from the Old Testament, bringing into the New but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. There's instruction that we are to be holy. What does that mean? We're to be separated unto God. We're to be like him. We're to walk in him. We're to abide in him. Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, talks about the same thing. That we're to practice personal holiness. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 says, What? You not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. You're not your own. If you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
They're, you know, he's dealing with all sorts of stuff in the church of Corinth. And really, when you read through, his heart is that they would practice personal holiness, responsibility before the Lord, that they would sanctify themselves. Now, this is not making yourself perfect. This is not works-based salvation. This is simply living in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself in John 14, a great chapter where the Holy Spirit is promised time and time again, says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He that has my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that is loved of me and have loved of my Father and I will manifest myself unto him. She says in, in John 14, John 15, you can do nothing without me, abide in me and I in you. This concept of personal holiness, I think, has been lost because we have been misdirected by a misunderstanding of the gospel of grace, which is what Paul writes about in Romans. That is the accusation against him, that when you're saved by grace, then you can do what you want, live how you want, and God's gracious, so it doesn't really matter. And actually, that the more you sin, it just proves how much more God is gracious. Paul deals with this in Romans. So we've lost the concept of personal holiness, that we have to guard our walk with the Lord, that yes, God will do great things, yes, God will work in and through his church corporately, but individually there's a responsibility there to practice personal holiness. So the question is then, just kind of wrapping this around, is what is this? What does this look like? And, you know, at different points in my Christian walk, I would have probably said different things. But I like to think that I'm, I'm more mature in the Word and more mature in the Lord now, and that my advice is more seasoned now. And as I, as I grow in my Christian walk, and the more I study and the more I learn, the more I realize that personal holiness isn't this big complex thing of programs and plans and this and that and whatever. It is simply about your desperation and your desire to spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you spend time with God, you get closer to God. That is sanctification. That's the separation. That's where the personal holiness starts to work in and through you. You're more like him. So what do we do? Here, here's my recommendation, and this is what I'm being challenged at with. The first thing you do in a day is spend time with Jesus. Separate yourself from everything else and spend time with Jesus. I'm doing, I'm doing a little study through Scripture of the early risers. And, you know, I'm a night person, so... It's hard for me to get up early in the morning. I step all night. But actually, I'm being biblically challenged that that's not the right way around. I know we live in grace and people say, well, you spend time with Jesus whenever you can fit it in around your diary. And, that, and that's fine. I'm not, I'm not judging you for that. But personally, biblically, I think if you want to walk this life and, and to be as like Christ as you can, if you want to sanctify yourselves so that God will work in your life tomorrow, it is dependent upon your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you carve out the time to rise early in the morning, uh, Moses rose early in the morning. 
Abraham rose early in the morning. King David in Psalm 63 says, God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. If we want to practice personal holiness, if we want to be in the place where we're ready for God to move, my challenge to myself and to you is that you rise early in the morning and spend time with God. This is what Jesus did. And if it's what Jesus did, surely it's what we should do. This is the example that's set. And if that means dedication, so be it. If that means sacrifice, so be it. It's worth it. But if we start the day with Christ, and I mean, and whatever way your devotional time takes, if it's prayer, if it's uh, reading, if it's both, if it's uh, listening to him, whatever it may be, whatever that pattern is for you, I'm not trying to fix you into a, a program. All I'm saying is start your day with Jesus. Fellowship with him. And let that be the tone for the rest of the day. Sacrifice. Rise early in the morning. Because when we do that, we're practicing personal holiness. Because can there be any more thing more holy than to spend time with Jesus? Moses rose up early in the morning. Joshua rose up early in the morning. He sees the vision of of, of Christ. Christ says to him, take off your shoes for you're in holy ground. I think personally as a church, you know, if each one of us, each one of us names the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and loves him, practices personal holiness in this way. If we uh, spend time with the Lord and make it the first port of call that we rise up to meet with him, knowing that our entire day depends upon him, knowing that without him we can do nothing, knowing that the battles are head are won by God, not by us. The lesson from the lives of the people of Israel is that when they sanctified themselves, when they separated themselves, when they practiced personal holiness, when they trusted and obeyed the Lord, God was ahead of them, securing victory. But the minute... They defiled themselves. They fell away from that. What happens? They get defeated by an enemy that humanly they should have been able to overcome easily. God is showing the people, and hopefully this morning he's showing us that, again, we need to have a close relationship with him. If we want to see him do wonders, if we want to see him move in our lives, I, you know, I, honestly, I, I'm, I'm baffled about the amount of times that we all look and wonder and say, where is God? And never really reflect upon the fact, where are we? It's always, where's God? But where are we? And if we're in the right relationship with God, if we're walking in the right place, we'll never ask that question. Because we'll know he's with us. And actually, the circumstance, the situation that we're walking into won't matter. Won't matter one bit. Because we're sanctified, we're separated, we're walking in him. And then we have everything. We have all we need when we're in the presence of God.
So my challenge this morning and this snowy morning is where are we with the Lord? As individuals, as a church, are we ready for God to move? If, if God moves as church in a certain way, are we going to be sanctified in our own walks, that we'll see it, we'll be ready to move, that we'll not be worried about any obstacle that lies before us, that we'll make the steps and we'll move as God moves, we'll fall in with his time? Or are we, as individuals, and then affecting the church as a whole, allowing things in our lives that are sinful, that are keeping us from God, that are stopping us from fellowship with the Lord? Are we not waking up at all to spend time with the Lord? If we want to see God move and to move with God, there's a personal responsibility in here. There's a call to live a holy life in a world that's full of filth. And that is a high calling It's a hard calling, but let me tell you, beloved, it's the best calling. A life in him is well lived. A life in him is blessed beyond measure. This concept of rising up and spending time with the Lord before you do anything else. Let me ask you one question as I finish. Why is it so hard to do that consistently? If it was easy, we'd be able to do it all the time. If it wasn't important, we'd be able to do it all the time. If it wasn't essential for our walk before the Lord, the world would let us do it. But the enemy will do all he can to stop that because he knows how important this is in the lives of the believer. So the lesson this morning, the challenge to us all, that God will do what God will do, but what are we doing? before God. I hope this has been a challenge. I hope that we'll be encouraged to practice personal holiness, to just start putting God first each and every day, before work, before uh, kids, if that's possible, before the burdens, before you get bogged down in life, spend time with Jesus. Sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow, God will do wonders amongst you. Let's pray.